con rubillos en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González ahorrando la torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas, Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Pericoleón, Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección. Welcome back to the Peruvian Walls podcast. I'm your host Brian Birdie, joining you from Lima, Peru, and this is going to be the second two-man pod we've had since we started. So, oh, fun, fun. I have the volume up, my bad. I, I was surprised to hear myself talk, but okay, well, <laughs> this, is, you know, like right. this, is a, this is a two-man pod uh, this time. We've only had one before, uh, I think it was episode four, if I remember, where we talked, uh, it, was the, it was the one where I really got angry about Melgar, and uh, this time, it's not going to be a rant, it's going to be actually a special episode. We're going to talk about the lower divisions in the grassroots football, Peruvian, or Peruvian football, that's not really redundant, but... I uh, messed up my wording there. Um, so, yeah, I'm here with Christopher Ricardo, who has reached a milestone. He's in the same place as last week, but not in the same place as always. How are you, Christopher? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird to do it without without Peter, but uh, honestly, like, we, we don't miss him. So, no, <laughs> just kidding. We, to- we totally miss you, Peter. And he is covering a very important soccer game right now, which is why he's not with us. Uh, but, hey... Might as well take the time to, to talk about some of the nerdiest stuff out there in the Peruvian soccer uh, sphere, right? Segunda División and Copa Peru. Yeah, no, it's kind of like it's kind of like when our parents left when we were teens and they left for uh, for like vacation. They left us all alone. We all knew we something to get on the phone and invite all our friends over at the time. That's how we feel about Peter. We're going to talk about Segunda División and Copa Peru. So nothing above that. No national team stuff. So if you're not into that stuff, uh, I, I suggest you leave. If you want to stay, you can stay. If you, I, re- I recommend you stay, though, because we're going to be really insightful or as insightful as we can anyways. So <laughs> that's, that's, um, that's a way to promote the pod today. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about this. So it's going to be mostly a Copa Peru pod, but we're going to go on to the Segunda Edición uh, Max Day, which we followed uh, as much as we can. Uh, I saw, I think, two games this weekend. I'm not going to say witches, but I'm, I, I'm going to try to speak the context of the games I didn't see. And, yeah. Um, so, why don't we begin? Christopher, what are your thoughts on uh, this weekend's uh, set of games? What, 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 any standout? What are the surprises? And what do you think of the games you saw? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm going to continue to complain about the fact that these games are becoming harder and harder to find on the internet or, or through television for the fans to enjoy. I'm really hoping that soon we will start seeing them televised and more available. Uh, I think the biggest surprise for me was probably Sport Loreto against Alfredo Salinas. Uh, just because Sport Loreto is, uh, they, they play, their home stadium is in the jungle. We know that, which which can be tough uh, with the heat and whatnot, but it's not, you know, uh, high altitude. It's not like playing in Huancayo, playing in Cusco, or playing in Huaraz. Uh, so that that kind of uh, surprised me a little bit to see such a big lead by by the local team against Alfredo Salinas. Uh, what what happened there? To be honest with you, from the highlights, I wasn't really able to tell. Mostly just a weak defense, I think, on the Alfredo Salinas side. Uh, as we know, they are from a small. Uh, town right deep in deep in uh cusco so that that like uh, other teams in peru is kind of uh, their fortress and going out to sport loreto was probably a little bit of a shock 
Uh, other than that, I would say that another interesting game was probably Deportivo Copsol Union Guaral, which me and uh, uh, Brian and I uh, had the opportunity to live tweet uh, with the rest of the community. Um, let's see. First of all, Union Guaral had two very two early goals right at the beginning of the match, caught everybody off off guard, right. And then, interestingly enough, they lose a player. They're down to 10, right, because of a red card in the second half, if I'm not mistaken. And the Deportivo Copson scores one, but it's not able to score another one. And it was at, at, at least the second half was all just like a solo to me, at least. Copson was pushing and pushing and pushing. And, I mean, like, honestly... Uh, to, to speak well of Guaral, they, they actually did pretty well holding them off and not really uh, conceding that, that goal, which would have uh, leveled the score for, for both sides. Yeah, no, I know. That console game, I got to Chelsea as well. It was really hard to find, but my friend who lives in Guaral, he was able to send me he was able to send me the game. Uh, because for some reason, it's not being played in or Guaral, where it should be played. They're playing Cañete, which is on the other side. Uh, think of it this way. There is there is north of Lima and there's south of Lima. And in the middle, there's Lima downtown. And that's that's basically what it's like. They, have, they go to the south, which is where Cañete is, and Chancay is in the north. So it, it doesn't make sense to me. They probably did it for more people because Cañete doesn't have football at the moment. And Consola isn't really a team that's known for having many fans. It's more of a business, like you mentioned last week. So it's – um, yeah, it was a good game. Um I thought Manuel Lugas did really well in the central defense for Union uh, Guadal. I, I even included him on my team of the week. I thought the defense was immense to try and keep them out. So weren't created enough and whatnot. And yeah, it was deserved win for Guadal. They got the early lead there by two goals. And Gonzalo didn't do enough, especially after that draw they got in Trujillo last, uh, I think, I want to say a week and a half ago. I, I, I was saying last week, but I wasn't thinking it was last week or two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. As for the other result, you mentioned Sport Loreto. Uh, they won 5-0. I, I was surprised to see Johan Sotiles playing for Loreto because he was actually playing for Cultura Santa Rosa last year. Uh, Cultura Santa Rosa is a team I'm going to mention later because I actually got to see their game as well. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a talented player. He's really ill-disciplined. That's why he's here. He's kind of like his father, Hugo Sotiles, who was also kind of well-disciplined, but he was a lot, lot better than his son, of course. And... Yeah, he's definitely talented, and he he would do well in his division. But he's still really old; it's not he's not caught it anymore for Primera División. So I think that I think this is a good destination for him at the moment. I think he's like thirty-seven years old or something. So yeah, it's uh, an interesting one. As for another result that uh, surprised me, not one that surprised me so much, but Cinciano one-one Grau. Uh, it didn't surprise me that much because Grau are a decent team; they're not too bad. But the thing that really the thing that really surprised me was that Victor Yoa scored, and he's a goalkeeper, of course. He <laughs> from, it was really hard to see the footage, but he scored from like one player got a touch and he got like the last touch in a, in a very easy tap in. But it was a last minute goal, of course, on the corner. It wasn't the penalty, and Victor Yoa is obviously a goalkeeper, so it was definitely an interesting one to see. And yeah, I I didn't put him on my team of the week. I probably should have just because of that because. Get out of the last minute draw. I mean, what what, what more can you say? Uh, I, I I highly doubt he was at fault for many goals because there's just one goal. So it's definitely in the the one goal was a penalty, of course. So 
it's it's an interesting one. Christopher, what are you thinking? What other results do you think uh, are worth talking about? Oh, and thanks for Absalon News for correcting me. Cholito is 32 years old. Oh, wow. Okay, he's he's younger than, than we he's thought. younger than we thought, yeah. So, <laughs> little random fact on, on Johan Sotil. His name is Johan because he's named after Johan Cruyff, right? Yes. Who his dad played with while he was at Barcelona, right? So this is not like a poster or anything because like Hugo Sotil actually knew the actual Johan Cruyff, so he can he he can actually call his son that, not like other people. But anyways, um, well, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of surprised at the amount of ties uh, or draws. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna talk to you. Absalom, my bad, he's 35. I had a feeling that was something fishy, though, he's 32, but he's 35. Okay, you can continue. I just had to correct that. <laughs> anyway, he is in his 30s, and he's no longer in his prime, and the second division is a good place for him to be at. But let's let's continue. Uh, the amount of draws in the tournament tells me kind of that, that things are, are uh, pretty even, right? Uh, I mean, we have some crazy scores, like Walgayok scoring four goals last, uh, two weeks ago. And then this weekend, uh, the 5-0 to zero, uh, that Fort Loreto had. But honestly, other than that, we're having a lot of 1-1s, to 1-0s. To uh, I mean, it, 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 I think that it's going to make for a more interesting tournament. Uh, kind of like uh, what we had two seasons ago, where we had, like uh, I want to say, at least five or six teams who were fighting for that, for that coveted first-place uh, slot, like, to the last second uh, of the tournament. And that's always good for Segunda División. I mean, it's been interesting to see a lot of fans turn out to the games too. Uh, people are supporting and they're enjoying what they're seeing. Uh, it's kind of unfortunate for the Cienciano fans that went uh, to, to see their team uh, win and unfortunately they tied one-to-one in the last minute. Other than that, um, I don't know. I don't think there's any other surprises. As Cesar Vallejo won, to four to two against Los Caimanes. Uh, Carlos Manucci tied one to one on the Northern Derby, the Peruvian Northern Derby. If you want to call it, it a penalty as well, very end. That's right. That's right. A penalty that could have given them the the victory, and the, and that was a very historic match, as we had highlighted that day, uh, that they hadn't played each other uh, in a professional competitive match in like twenty more than 25 years. So uh, it was it was kind of interesting to see that. Uh, other than that, I think that's kind of the highlights for Segunda División. Some of the goal scorers of the weekend, including Walter Ibáñez, who scored a penalty for Cinciano. Uh, I believe he's ex-Alianza. I might be wrong on that. Um, Anderson Cueto, who was really good in his youth days, but he didn't really kick off in there. Oscar Naroña, similar story. Talent, but just not disciplined enough. And... Yeah, no, I think one of the most underrated teams in the division is Walgayok because they had, they put a really good campaign last year. Lost a lot of the squad. They lost to Peter Benavides last year to Comerciantes Unidos. They lost Cesar Zambrano, for example. But they've reinforced really, really well. I mean, I have your critiques about Ronaldo Cadeira. He might do badly this year. But uh, I, I think he's not a bad signing for Walgayok. Maybe you just a state that Sport Ancash were in that uh, really hurt him. But we'll see how he does. Uh, he started off well. He's already top scoring division, albeit just one match. So it's it's really not much to say. But yeah. there is a, there's okay. one season winner, and I think Walgayokas can be one of the surprises. Me and you were talking about this pre-pod, but I think in the promotion with the two 
teams that go up. Of course, it could be one team from Copa Peru, but I'm going to say it's going to be two from Segunda División. I think one of them will be one of the expected to go up. I think it will be Cesar Vallejo or Cinciano, and the other team is going to be one of the lower teams that no one expects to go up, but they're actually pretty decent, like Juan Gallo Cordoreto. And you got to remember that these uh, these teams are really, really good in the uh, – not really, really good, but these games often end up really high scoring, especially in Espinada, which always ends up in some thrashing because at first it's so high up and the other teams aren't that prepared to do it. I mean, it's not like Union Minas when they were in Primera Edition. I mean, yeah, they always won at home, but, I mean, they were they, the other teams were professionally prepared because it's Primera Edition. This is different. This is closer to grassroots, if anything. I mean, it's professional. But it's still it's still closer to grassroots than professionality technically. So um, the other thing I could talk about is Cultura Santa Rosa versus the uh, Sport Victoria. Uh, what do you think of Sport Victoria, Christopher? Because uh, these first two games they really disappointed me. They have some good players like Jason Paduro, and they, that African I think his name is Angzie or something, but I think he's an eighteen year old Nigerian something like that. What do you think of Sport Victoria? Do you think they'll they do a lot poorer this year than they what they've shown for, or sorry, do you think they do a lot better than what they've shown for? Um, or do you think they'll struggle. I think I think Sport Victoria is uh, well. First of all, let's highlight that they're that they they seem to be a serious organization, right? Uh, they are part of the group that ascended to the Segunda División. I want to say in the year 2012-2013, where there was a big cohort of Copa Peru teams that were invited to Segunda División, and it is one of the ones that actually. I think. 2015, um, there was a bigger one. You might be right. You might be right. I, I have to think about that. But if you think about it, some of the other other teams that were part of that group were uh, Walter Ormeño, right? Uh, or the Puno Puno team. Um, Alfonso Garte, right? Both very big teams, very important teams uh, that played maybe one or two seasons and then could not handle being professional. Uh, so that, that is something that we need to give them. Sport Victoria is a team that has managed to stay in the second division, but unfortunately has not has not really stand out. And I don't think that this season is going to be any different for them either, uh, especially with all the competition that there's going to be up top with Vallejo, with Aurich, with uh, Manucci, Cienciano. Uh, just, I mean, just between those top four right there, I think that Victoria is going to be one of those teams that is probably going to fight for one of the last... Liguilla uh, berths, the one of the last uh, playoff spots, you know, probably seventh, eighth, nine, uh, ninth place, but it's not going to be one of the serious contenders to to ascend to the first division. I'd actually rank them lower than that. I, just from what I've seen, anyways, uh, they've not impressed me. It could be coaching issues. Who knows? They, they have some good players, but I, at the same time, are they really that good? I mean, do they... Do, do they really – like, I can name seven better teams in the division just on top of my head. And um, I think they're closer to uh, Los Caimanes and Alias Atletico than Cesar Vallejo. Eh, I think even Copsola, I would say. Copsola uh, are going to be fighting mid-table to the playoff berth, but that's not what this is about. I think that this is they – they are not a great team. And I think that many people are giving them more credit than they deserve. I mean, they're decent. They're not that good. They're decent, but they're they're not as they're not a top eight team. I don't think or top seven in this case because that's the idea. It's, it's really weird, but it's um yeah. I, I don't think Sport Victoria is going to make it very far. 
which I, I hope they don't go down because Ika only has one team in the professionality, and that's about it. They don't have they don't have any anymore in the Hotel Spinoza is in the Copa Peru right now. So yeah, I think Ika needs to stay with the team because you gotta remember how many footballers come out of Ika. Yuya is the most recently that come out from the grassroots part of Ika. Well, of course, most of them go to Alianza, Cristal, Nau, but Marcus Yuya is the last one to come out from the grassroots of Ika. He played he actually played for Victoria on there in the Copa Peru. And he played for clubs like Defensor Sarumi, uh, cl- clubs like that. So I think that it's important for Ika to have a team in the first two divisions anyways. Uh, Christopher, what are your thoughts on that? And what are your thoughts on uh, – I guess you can get your thoughts on a few other teams that you wanted to get off your mind as well. Yeah, so so first of all, I was while you talked, I was looking uh, looking up what year it was that there was a cohort of uh, Segunda División or Copa Peru teams that, that were invited to Segunda. It was 2013 where there was, I believe, four or five teams that went straight from Copa Peru, the Copa Peru bracket at the end of the season and were awarded slots. Slots. <laughs> That's anyways, uh, but um, what what kind of did worry me is that uh, I was watching some of the highlights of the Walgayok game that they played uh, two weeks ago, and their their pitch was in very 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 poor condition. Okay, which is something that the federation, the Peruvian FA, has been trying to crack down on uh, recently, especially with first division teams, uh, and it kind of surprised me that they were not that that strict. With Segunda División teams, we understand Segunda División does not have as much money as Primera División does. But honestly, their pitch was a disaster. It's an artificial pitch out in the middle of nowhere, because Walgayok is, is pretty far away, obviously. And and it was raining that day. So there was like literal puddles on the field of, you know, like, I want to say like, you know, 15 centimeters of water. I mean, you could see the the... The cleats of the players were just would just disappear <laughs> under the water, and so oh, yeah, there were many Lake Titicaca in the middle of uh, Walgayok. So basically, um, what what kind of worried me there is that you know was it was Caleria really playing that well? I mean, he he scored a lot of pretty goals, but at the same time, it was it was terrible conditions for professional soccer. So hopefully, that's something that that will improve. As the rains go away, although they're probably not going to go away, um, in in Walgayok, and that's something that uh, hopefully the the leaders of Segunda División will will keep in mind as the tournament continues. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's any more comment you need to add. Uh, Walgayok is currently first. No one got six out of six. No one got all six out of six. That's a typical rest. So they lost in the first match. They said no one's got all the points out of. Uh, all of them. Uh, I mentioned it before. I think Alexis Levico will fight relegation. I think Tuscamelas will be down there. And I'm thinking Sport Victoria is one of my bold predictions is going to be down there as well. But I don't think they'll go down. I think they'll survive. I think one of the two is going to go down as Los Caimanes or Alianza Atletico. It's going to be one of those two. But I think Sport Victoria is better than that, definitely. So, yeah. I think that's enough for I think that's enough for Segunda División. We've covered what we need to. Uh, an interesting match today, though, Mayhem, as always, uh, goalkeeper scoring. I mean, what more can you ask for? And uh, this is going to come up video, which we're going to go even more down in the in the football pyramid of Peru. And we'll talk about what is grassroots football. It's, it's not professional. It's amateur. It's an amateur tournament. It's bloody brilliant. I just I just want to tell you, it's maybe not enter, maybe not entertaining to watch. Some of the games can be quite probably quite hard to follow because 
I mean, you have to look for the game, and the games aren't all that because the level is just really, really low. Uh, it doesn't bother me personally, but it might bother some people. But to follow it is is brilliant because there's so many teams you can follow, and there's so many brilliant names, so many brilliant badges, uh, brilliant fights. I, I could go on forever. It's 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 brilliant. So I guess before we can start, Christopher, why don't you explain the format of the Copa Peru, and then we can go okay. off some moments that we recall in recent years as the clubs. Okay, so what's fascinating about Copa Peru, uh, for for those of you that maybe follow basketball uh, or or another tournament like like for example in basketball and like uh, you have March Madness in the United States, which is uh, college basketball, it's a ginormous bracket if you if you really want to think about that. So Copa Peru starts at the district level, which a district can be like a small section of Lima can be a district. Right, so a small section of a bigger city, but districts in rural areas can actually be kind of like a county or or a piece of, of the region where there's a lot of small little tiny towns, right? And so you have a, a district tournament that has anywhere between five and ten uh, different teams playing, right? And then the the winner of that will move on to the provincial stage, and the winners of the provincial stage will move on to the regional stage. And the winners of the regional stage will move on to the national stage, uh, which in the end moves into the final group stage, which is the four the top four teams in the country uh, through, you know, all, all kinds of elimination, uh, travel to Lima and play uh, against each other. Uh, and whoever wins then is ascended directly to it's promoted directly to the first division of Peruvian soccer. So it's really interesting because the tournament starts with 20,000 teams, right? All over the country, 24,000, about 24,000 teams, some teams in little tiny rural areas of Peru, some teams in, you know, metropolitan Lima, but they all have an equal chance to make their way up the pyramid and fight for a slot uh, in the first division for the, for the next year's tournament. Uh, basically, so it's it's unique. Uh, honestly, I don't think there's anywhere else in the world where one could go for you know me and like 19 other buddies could make a team, right? And if we are good and if we are successful, we could be a professional team in the first division next year. And it's interesting because like it sounds like it would be like an advantage for the teams in let's say Segunda División to go down to the Copa Peru and then go up from there because they're a better level. It could be an advantage. No, it's not like that at all because, first of all, it's a ridiculous hardly to get out of. Secondly, you have to become an amateur club, so it's actually a disadvantage to your club. And thirdly, you can harm you financially. And, of course, not all the players are going to be on board, so you're not going to have to compromise to keep all of them. So it's definitely – it's it, it really is a difficult tournament to get out of. But it's really, it's really fun because – there's a lot. There's different clubs every year. I mean, one thing I always said at the Chalaca when I was there is, or not me, but me and my the people there, we all said that we. Were, I was asking them, well, who's going to win the Copa Peru next year? Who do you think? And they're they're all like, who knows? For all we knows, it could be a club that doesn't exist yet. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's definitely the truth. They can start a club and then the next year they can become champions. So it's very it's a very interesting one. And yeah, no, there's. There's a lot of great stuff in the Copa Peru. So first, before we talk about a preview of the Copa Peru, uh, because it's it's technically started. It's, the district stage is still going on. It's about to end. But 
First, let's talk about some of the best memories of the Copa Peru because there's a lot of them, and I recommend you to look them up on YouTube after or on Google if they're a club. Uh, I'll go first. My favorite club in Copa Peru history is Molinos El Pirata from Lambayeque. It just, it, what a club that was. Their Facebook page, I think, had a total of 10 likes in the Copa Peru, and their badge had, their badge was Molinos El Pirata in a circle with Jack Sparrow in the middle. It, it just absolutely brilliant. It was a great. <laughs> it, was, it, it was a great club. I think they, I think they're gone now. They still, uh, I think they still compete, but I'm pretty sure they don't make it past the to this turtle stage anymore. The owners got bored uh, with a ten-like Facebook page. Doesn't surprise me. So it was brilliant. And there's clubs like Independiente Bigote, or which obviously means independent mustache. There's clubs like uh, Rico Pollo, which means good chicken. It's and then there's also the names. There's a player called. I was talking with this with Freddie Clayton. Uh, before the podcast started, I, I we were talking about uh, uh, funny names in the Copa Peru, and there's one in Municipality of Ambach, whose name is Peruvian Kawa, which is a brilliant name, Peruvian Kawa. That was his name. Peruvian Kawa. So those are a few of my favorite things. And, of course, there's all there's also these infamous moments, like all the referee fights. There's uh, stamps from the referee where they just, just five-star them with your foot on the back of the referee. And they don't even get carded. There's like the whole crowd chases the referee. The referee just running for his life <laughs> until the police. So they don't make there's not enough security, obviously. So it just well, a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun of the tournament. And there's obviously that infamous Horacio Balisari moment, which I'm not even going to describe on here just to keep it. Yeah, no, just so. just uh, some inappropriate stuff that happened. Go go look it up on YouTube. Go look it up. There, there's actually, actually, actually. Go ahead. Tese Deportes, which is the Argentinian. Uh, News, news, not the Argentine news site, but it's like kind of like Gol Peru in Argentina. They actually have a show called Planeta Gol, which I used to follow when I uh, used to have it, the, the channel. And they did a special on the Copa Peru. Look that up on YouTube. That that has a lot of the great moments. So, Christopher, why don't, you go, why don't you go for all the great moments, and then we're going to do a pretty uh, good tournament. Okay, well, first of all, the one that I wanted to highlight is um, one that happened this year, actually, uh, where there was a Copa Peru game. I can't remember where it was, but basically what happened is in the in the middle of the game, one of the former players of one of the clubs on the field had passed away, right? So their family decided that to, to pay one last last tribute to him, they were going to actually have the, the casket with the body inside, obviously, go and do an Olympic lap, a lap around oh the stadium. Okay, so I kid you not, I kid you not, because it's funny, the game, the ref actually paused the game, okay? They opened the doors to the stadium, and here came this whole funeral procession and just, you know, went around the stadium for like 10, 20 minutes. They left, and they continued the Copa Peru game, okay? So, <laughs> so, so it's, it's a little ridiculous, right, obviously, but it's the kind of stuff that you see in Copa Peru. It's not uncommon to see cows. Uh, yeah, I, was about, I was about to mention that there was that once there was a one match in the Madre de Dios. Uh, I forgot who it was against. I think it was Mins or Deportivo Malonao. In the middle of the match, there's a bunch of there's a stampede just run across the pitch. The referee is like, "What do I do with this game now?" <laughs> like, what? It's like, okay, okay well, so there's a bunch of cows. Let's just uh, you know hold on. Okay, well, I guess we can go preview the matches now. Not the matches because we don't even know what, who's playing at the moment. I know who's playing, but. <laughs> In Lima, at least, in Lima, at least, there's um, the important stuff is not reached. That we're still in the distrital stage, 
And uh, we're going to talk about Lima first because Lima, we're going to talk about Lima and Ancash first because that's where, that's where native uh, provinces, of course. That's where I live right now. That's where Christopher used to live and was born, of course, in Ancash. So, first of all, we'll talk about Lima. I'd say the favorites is here in Lima are Deportivo de Vendemira Flores, uh, Walter Ormeño, and Defensor Laurezur. I think Defensor Laurezur is the definite favorite for sure. Mm-hmm. The Florida has a lot of experienced veterans, and they've been the strongest team in the Lima Metropolitan part for quite some time now. That players like Luis Castellon, who played for San E, and they had players like what's well, Nelson Davila, who played for Municipal in the Segunda División. Nelson Davila has been a dean for a few years now. He's been a dean for three years now. There's a, there's also Carlo Peralta Chocano, who plays in the the Peruvian national team uh, fo- uh, football seven. Which is actually oh. interesting. Uh, I don't think he, uh, I don't think he'll make it in uh, professional with the football seven, but uh, in football eleven, of course. But I, I, he does, he does, he does work for this level because he's still gonna have the skill with the feet, of course. So you still have the, the technique. It's just a whole different game, whole different ball game there. So I think Dima have definitely the the level to make it out of the Lima Metropolitan stage. It just I don't know if they're gonna qualify to the final stage of the, the Copa Video. I think. That's that's where they might go up because some of the other Lima teams are really strong. Walter Armenio, kind of a mess at the moment, but they have they have some good players. Uh, they have the fan base, of course. They have I'd say they probably have the biggest fan base of Copa Vero in Lima because they have a they, they're they're a very nice club. The Barrio Leone Blancos is a really nice, really nice set of fans that really care for their club, especially with all the hardships they've gone through. The owner, the ownership is a real mess because. I mean, they had three. They have three managers, or maybe even more. Actually, for all of them, they have three managers. That Herman Carti, who actually managed the Portugal Arsenal last year, and yes, that is the Herman Carti, the one that played till like forty-eight years old. There is Juan Carlos Legario, who I was just told today that he's actually no longer the manager. I believe he got appointed like a month ago. So the, the, oh. the whole thing is a mess. But mm-hmm. uh, and I wouldn't be. It wouldn't surprise me if they win the Lima tournament and then don't get qualified for the final stage because that actually happened two years ago. Where they uh, reached, the, they won the tournament, but they didn't qualify for the national team because of li- licensing. So, uh, Dean got got their place instead because they were the ones most qualified to uh, qualify for the national stage, even though they lost in the quarterfinals to Walter Armenio. So mm-hmm. that's that's an interesting one. And uh, the Virtual Lotus who has a lot of good players. I actually have a list here. Uh, one player that I know is there is Kristen Latorre, who played for the Under Seventeen World Cup of Peru in two thousand seven. You know that team with Manco, that team with Galese. That team, then I think the Nelly Chavez was there too, actually. Um, another, oh, hold on, one sec. Another player they had, and I have the list here, I just don't remember the name. Uh, Hector Parasantos, who played for Sport Boys, Deportivo Municipal, and Coronel Bolognesi. I don't know if Bolognesi was in the professional area, they were in Segunda, Provo, Peru, but he played for them, that's the point. And finally, Felix Uculmana, who played for Alianza Lima, Comercio, Huancayo, Utese, and Manucci. So obviously, they have. They obviously have trajectory, of course. I'm just translating, roughly translating that from Spanish, but they have uh, they have a good uh, resume. So the Fortaleza was the definite favorites. They've also kept most of their team from last year as well. So last year they won the Lima tournament, of course. So I can see them qualifying again. They're from Chiang They're club from Chiang of course. Uh, the same place where Copsol is based. And another another shout that could be is Susan Benahuacho, who qualified for the Copa Peru final stage two years ago. Uh, that's just kind of a wild guess, though, because they've been a strong team in recent years. But we'll see how it goes. They're, they're, their qualifying zone for the Copa Peru is a really tough one in Chiang And uh, so it, it can go either way. And as for if there's anything else to mention, all oh, right, one more that plays for Walter Armenio, actually. There's a name that Christopher recognized, 
Christian Cuadros plays for Walter Romeño, who plays for Sport Rosario and Sport Ancash. So Walter Romeño has quite a good team, but we'll see who makes it there. I, I, I'm hoping it's Dean because I'm a Dean fan, but uh, I think it's going to be Laura soon. Do you want to tell him what Dean stands for? I've said it already. I don't need to repeat it. <laughs> okay, okay. Never mind. Never mind. Maybe I wasn't paying attention. So, so I mean, I think we should explain a, a few, a bit more of the peculiarities of the t- of the of the tournament. It happens a lot of the times that because of a rule somewhere, right, teams will get disqualified halfway through the ch- through through the tournament, right? And so, therefore, you do see a lot of the times these substitutions happen. Uh, where a team will make it to the quarterfinals, right? And all of a sudden they will disappear. And it's because, oh, they had a, you know, like uh, they fielded too many uh, older players, right? When they had a rule that they were supposed to do at least, you know, five U under 18s or something like that. I mean, there's there's a lot of these nit- nitpicky rules. Uh, licensing is also an issue, right? Uh, they need to be an, an actual uh, organized, <laughs> organized organization, right? They have to be well organized and they have to have all their legal stuff in order. And if for some reason halfway through the tournament, uh, their rival finds out that they, they, they don't have that kind of stuff in, in place, then they will disappear from the tournament, right? And and they will automatically lose. And then you, you're you're left wondering what happened to that team. They were doing so well. So... So, anyways, with that, let me let me do an introduction to to my uh, region's uh, top two teams, right? And they're actually regional rivals. First of all, we have Sporankash on one side, uh, which was the the it's one of the oldest teams in the city of Juarez, and it's the one with the with the longest history and tradition. They were in the Copa Peru finals uh, back in the '70s, if I'm not mistaken, and they actually played professionally for about ten years. 10 years in the early 2000s. And since then, they have been in Segunda División and then back in Copa Peru and then back in Segunda División and now back in Copa Peru. So we had a lot of ups and downs. Uh, a lot of the times we've been very, very close to ascending back to the first division. And that is the team that I identify the most with. They won the Copa Peru back in 2004. I was about eight years old at the time. So, I mean, that I've grown up with them and following them. Uh, uh, year to year. And so they've actually started doing some signings right now. Uh, they will be starting the tournament from the regional stage because they were one of the teams that was relegated at the end of the 2017 Segunda División season. So that means that they don't have to start from the very, very beginning, right? But that they actually get the privilege of starting in one of the later stages. Uh, the other team from the region is Jose Galvez, which is the team that has been re- relegated from the first division uh, the most. It holds that record, and I like to, you know, throw it in their face because, you know, they're our rivals. Uh, but they've been in the first division at least five different times, right, in the last 30 years, and they have been relegated time and time again. But they're a very serious organization. Another thing that's funny with Copa Peru is that the team, the, the, the names to the teams don't have to be original. So a lot of the times you will see teams that were former professionals, right, that will disappear, right, because of that, because of other legal troubles, they will disappear. And then the next year you will see that exact same team show up again with a slight modification to their name. So, for example, my, my team was Sport Ankash, right? Now, there was legal problems with the team. It disappeared. It died, right? The next year 
there was a new team with the same colors, with the same leadership, and it was called Sport Ankash FC. And right. so therefore, it was a brand new team, right? And so another another funny thing that happens is that if the fans are not happy with your team, they will clone it and com- have you compete against a clone, right? So for example, Jose Galvez being such a such a big team in the region, right? There was one point where there was four Jose Galvez's playing all in the same city. The original <laughs> one, right? Yeah, just like just like Chiclayo has a four or five one outages, right? Uh, there was at least four or five Jose Galvez's all in the same league, competing at the same time with the same colors. One was the original one. One was fan made, right? All, of course, all of these had slight variations to the name. Another one was supposed to be the reserve team to the to the original team, and then I, I don't even remember where, where the fourth one comes from. But anyways, it was a mess trying to figure out which one of them was the original one and which one of them you should be cheering for. But uh, honestly, in my region, considering that Sport Rosario is in first division now, then all the attention is focused on those those two teams and how well they will be able to do uh, in the tournament. Now, actually, I do want to mention one little Juanarich. Yes, there are like 10 Juanariches in Lambayeque. They're, they're, most of them are copies. But there is one interesting one that is in the copy, and that is Juanarich Batangrande. That is the one that reached the Copa Peru national stage last year. Uh, Juanarich Batangrande is actually the original Juanarich, in case you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I wanted to uh, kind of explain this because it might, it might, I might have not worded it best. The original Juan Aurich is the one playing in the second division right now, but they were in, they were originated in Batangrande. That was where they originally came from. I think mm-hmm. around the forties or fifties they moved to Chiclayo to play uh, there, and then the, the fans from Batangrande they started their own team called Juan Aurich Batangrande to kind of keep the Juan Aurich tradition in the town that it originated from. So that Juan Aurich you could say it's not really a copy. Now Juan Aurich Chongoyape Juan Aurich. Pacasmayo, whatever you want to call it, those are <laughs> copies. But Juanarich Matangrande is actually a traditional club in in a very in a very indirect way. So it's definitely it's an interesting one, and I think that uh, I think that there, there are a couple of you respect it. Now, as for some of the regions, uh, and I'm going to get my notes up because there's a lot of it. So yes, can't always think right on top of my head. There's one club that I wanted to mention that could. Oh, sorry about that. I. Um, anyways, there's one club that I wanted to mention that I, I wanted to bring up. For those who are familiar with Edwin Retamoso, who played in the Peruvian national team, a few, uh, mostly for games against Bolivia and La Paz, because he's uh, he played for Cinciano, he's played for Garcilaso. Uh, he actually has a team uh, in the town he's from. He's from Abancay, and he's a team called FC Retamoso. And they could be one to watch this year. I, I can't say I know any of their players, but I've seen a lineup. I know a few of the names. I just don't know who they are. And they are an interesting side. The reason I'm saying they could be one to watch this year is because they're sweeping aside their division. Last year, they were the Segunda División of Avancay, which is the second division of their distal stage. They got promoted. This year, they're sweeping aside the division. I think they're already champions, actually. They have 31 points. I think they've drawn, like, one game only. And they're playing in a tough division. They're playing a, team, a division with Miguel Grau, Deportivo Educación, Universitario Hotel, all traditional clubs in Avancay. Jose Maria Arguedas, probably. No, Maria, Jose Maria Arguedas and the White House. I'll get to them. But uh, okay. Jose, that's that's an interesting one because uh, FC at the most, I want to see them in the last stage of the of, of the region. I think they'll reach the Copa Peru final, 
but I'm not sure they'll win because Jose Maria Arguedas, like Christopher just said, are probably still the strongest team in the region. But uh, the region, uh, th that's going to be the tough one because Jose Maria Arguedas are probably going to reach the national stage again like they do every year. And I, I, I'm not sure how far they'll get this year. I thought last year they, they kind of disappointed me because I thought they were going to reach La Finalissima, which is the final four. And uh, I think Jose Maria Arguedas is uh, probably going to be FC Retamoso, but I'm, I'm keen to see how they do. FC Retamoso, the, their owner is, of course, Edwin Retamoso, and they're they're not being run too badly, actually. They're, they're quite an interesting club. They have they they have a better social media team than almost every club in Primera División, and it's I I would recommend you follow them on on Facebook if you don't already because they they're pretty they're pretty interesting club and I'm following them with uh I'm following them closely if that's even a word but it's um yeah I'm keen on following them uh, Christopher have you heard of this club uh, I'm not sure if you have but I've I've found them I found them just recently. Not recently, I found at the beginning of the year. And then I the moment I saw they were starting to super south division, I'm like, okay, this is the one we should follow, maybe. Wait, wait, so you're talking still about Retamoso FC. Uh, the, talking about Edwin Retamoso reminds me, I believe it was the Peru Ecuador game, the last um, qualifying round that we had for, for the twenty fourteen World Cup. And the memes that came out of that, because that that day he totally destroyed it. He he ran miles and miles, or what seemed like miles and miles, and and well, anyways, that's an anecdote from from the past. But no, to be honest with you, I, I had not heard about that team before. Uh, but I I mean I welcome it. It's I think it's good news. Uh, it's yeah, it's interesting to see these Copa Peru sides because even though there is so many teams to start a tournament. You know that half of those teams don't really have a serious uh, aspirations, serious dreams of actually making it to to that uh, to that final or to that national stage. But you can kind of tell even early on that there's a few teams that will prepare themselves in such a way that that they will they will go far in the tournament. So the way that you describe them, Retamoso uh, FC, I think that that's something that we're gonna have to keep our, our eye on for sure. Yeah, I, I like I said, uh, I think they're an interesting club because it, it, it feels to me like they're going to be treated like a business. If not now, then maybe in a few years because they're doing quite well in the division. It looks like they've quite grown from the last few years that they've, they've been founded. So that's an interesting one. Now, as for another region that we should mention, I just want to mention the ones that I think are shoo-ins. Uh, Mother Mother also think means FC is a shoo-in or means a football club. Like it, they, it's an FPC, like kind of like Melgar. I think they're a shoo-in. I don't think they'll get far, but I think they're a shoo-in. Uh, there's a few that are wild guesses, like Pascal, Cerro Pascal. That's a wild guess because they have different clubs nearly every year, and Union Minas don't compete anymore. There is an Union Minas in Pascal, but it's what the traditional was. Like, kind of like what Christopher said, they just invite different clubs, and which happens technically happens everywhere. It happens in Manchester. It happened with FC United and Manchester and Blazers, but it, it's more it's more chaotic here, obviously. Mm -hmm. So. Um, yeah. It also reminds me of uh, MK Dons in England. Yeah, other Can't other showings uh, I think are Deportivo Garcilaso. Uh, I think they're they're almost guaranteed yes. to make the, the final stage because they're the best team in Cusco in the Copa Peru. Uh, Alfonso Arte is definitely a shoe, and I'll get to them in a second because I actually have a few comments on them. And uh, I've talked to a few people in the um, I've talked to a few people in provinces. A few friends I have in Junín. They said FC, FC Selva Central is going to make it because they're actually a team that. 
that almost made it last year, but they had licensing issues. They're like a really brand new club. They were founded last year, actually. They reached the final of their departmental stage of the of the regional stage, and they weren't in the national stage because they were they didn't have a license in or some some something like that. So I think this year that they will make it because they're they're not recently founded, and I think they're probably going to learn from the mistakes. But they are the favorites to win that region. Added to Tadma, which is a traditional club. They're probably not going to get very far this time, uh, according to what most people are saying. And as for the other one, Ucayali, Defensor San Alejandro should qualify again. And the other one is Comercio de Caeria, because Caeria is the hardest digital stage in uh, Ucayali. So they're, they're another one that should make it. Ucayali is obviously in the jungle, and um, in, this is the Amazon, of course. I, I don't know what else I have to say, but other teams that could make it. Jose Pardo could be going to watch. They're obviously a traditional team in Loreto. Uh, well, not obviously. Not many people actually know that. Everyone thinks Sene is the, the, the traditional one. But it, it, they, they are, and they're much more successful. But the rival is actually Jose Pardo. So for those who didn't know that, that's a little bit of fact of the day. And there's Cola San Martin, who's been strong in recent sides in Loreto. Now, as for Tacna, Colonel Bolognesi, who I'm sure most people are familiar with, most people who follow South American football for more than 10 years should be familiar with them because they that's obviously San Paoli's club that's obviously... Where uh, that's that's obviously a team that's been quite successful in Peru in uh, the 2000s to 2010 decade. They're quite successful. They're going to make the, the final stage because the Tacna departmental or Tacna regional, I have to see regional, I have to translate to English. Tacna regional is really, really poor. They usually win most games like 20 nil, 23 nil. But for um, well, I'm not expected to get far this year. I've asked a few people again, and they're telling me that they're not going to get very far this year because they're, um, they've lost a lot of the players. I believe Kevin Dowd is not with them anymore. And lastly, the last uh, – oh, well, first of all, I'm going to talk about Wanaco. Atletico Universidad, for me, is a shoo-in. But Leon the Wanaco is not a shoo-in. They should make the final stage, uh, but I'm not sure they make the national stage, the final stage of the region, of course. And I'm not sure they make the final stage. Last year, they only got in because uh, – the other team had played an ineligible player or something. They broke the rules and they got in. So I'm not sure how they are this year. And lastly, Callao, which in my opinion should be part of Lima. I don't know why they get to play their own uh, stage. I mean, technically it's a different province, yeah, but it's still within the Lima region. So they should really play. No, actually, actually, Callao, it's its own region too. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I guess it's a debatable <laughs> topic. But no, Callao, Callao is Port Callao, who I think have lost a few players like Dan Cruz or Tiago, who played for the under-17s, I want to say, for Peru. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're essentially Sport Boys rejects. So if they get the best Sport Boys rejects, they should still have the ability to make it. I don't know who they are, they're with right now, but I believe they have a good social media team. So I probably should have checked. So that, those are a few of my opinions. Uh, I'll, I'll get to you, Christopher, before I get mm-hmm. to my opinion on the favorites of this tournament. Well... So uh, I think Alianza Universidad, Universidad is always uh, a serious contender. Uh, honestly, both them and Leon de Juanico, Juanico com- completely just trash everybody else in uh, that competes in that in that region. Uh, there, there is no competition for them. I think we, we should not forget Deportivo Garcilaso in Cusco, which is a very, very traditional team. And it's a team that is almost as old as Cienciano, but as while Cienciano has played in the first division multiple times and is currently in the second division, Deportivo Arcilaso has been a grassroots team for most of its existence. And in fact, some would say that Real Garcilaso is actually a clone of Deportivo Garcilaso. 
right? So a lot of people would have would have wish in, in Cusco would wish that they could see Deportivo Garcilaso kind of where Real Garcilaso is currently at. Uh, and so I, I, they always have really good performances. Uh, uh, they're, they're always very solid uh, when it comes to to the Cusco competition. And I think that or I hope that they will do that they will do well in the national stage, which, which was a little bit more shaky for them uh, last year. Um, other teams that you can that you, we can leave behind probably Alfonso Garte de Chiclin, right? A very traditional team from La Libertad that had a, a really good season last year. Uh, also, um, I'm trying to think of I'm I'm like going over my list here. Um, yeah, I think those are two teams that I want to talk about. We should talk about also about San Simon, right? The new modern San Simon. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to just say that. Um, and yeah, San Simon. They are from Lima now, but they're a completely different club. It's not the same San Simon right. that went up and had that really terrible campaign, the Premier Vision. It's a different one, and it's actually it's actually the team of one of my friends. So it's actually right. interesting. <laughs> one of my friends ran that Twitter account. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm putting him in his place right now. He ran the Twitter account. It wasn't an official social media team. So for those who believe it, I'm sorry to break your hearts, but it wasn't. No, and, but uh, the, the funny thing with that team is, is just that, that it basically, it was all a joke because Sensi One was a terrible team in the first division, the one year that they played, right? And everybody laughed. Uh, and the team disappeared, right? But the account that was supposed to be a, a fan running like a ghost account on their behalf, right? has decided, this mysterious fan that we both know who it is, has decided to actually start a new team, call it San Simon, but it's no longer the traditional San Simon from Moquegua, but it's competing in Lima now. And I don't know if they're going to go far, but it's it's going to be hilarious to see him uh, come back. And they're playing like the easiest historical league in the whole region. So it's it's. I think we'll see them in the next round. I'm not sure how much further we'll see them than that, though. But they have pretty much a better social media team than pretty much all through. So it, it just mm-hmm. one team that's not going to make it far at all is a better social media team than all of them. And another one who has a good social media team is AFE Cosmos from Turquillo. I think they have a good social media team as well. But I, um, I think they're actually one of the favorites to win the Lima tournament. Uh, just just the Metropolitan Tournament. Metropolitan tournament. Uh, I don't think they'll actually win the whole thing. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, now I want to talk about my favorites. Now, it's obviously a bit premature because most of these teams win their distrital or not the distrital, they win their uh, uh, regional tournament, qualify for the national stage, and then make changes from top to bottom in like two weeks. So it's um it's hard to predict, but I think I have my pick. I, I think Alfonso Garza is going to win it this year because they have put in a really solid team this year. Uh, if you've seen it, they have players, they have a lot of veterans from the first division, like Manuel Calderon, who played for Alianza Atletico, Edwin Goizueta, who played for Comerciantes, not sure if in the second division of the first division, but he's played there. David Peña, who played for Jose Carlos Maria Tegui last year and was the top scorer of the tournament. And, of course, Jack Duran. Jack Duran, who was the best player of the last two tournaments running. Yeah. And I think, I think with the altitude as well, that is going to be a really – that's a really solid team. And if they don't win it, I think it will be a colossal failure, just like if Binacional didn't win it last year. So I think that they're, they're my favorites for sure. Second favorite is Russell Guamachuco. I can't say I know any other players, but uh, pretty much every Trujillo I know is telling me that they're going to go far, that they have the best team in Trujillo, and they're they're really sweeping aside their division right now as well in the Distro League. So I think that they're also another favorite. And, of course, the Northern teams are always 
They're always tough cookies. So, yeah, Christopher, what do you think on what I said? And what do you think of your favorites? Do you have any? Yeah, I mean, uh, for some reason, I wanted to say EGB Tagneroica is also someone that uh, we should probably keep on our radar. Uh, like I like I already mentioned, the Portillo Arcilaso, I think it's going to have a pretty decent campaign. Um, I don't know if we mentioned Defensor San Alejandro from Ucayali. Uh, we'll probably have a pretty decent campaign. Okay, I'll believe you. I'll believe you on that. Um, going over some other names, uh, I mean, it, it's the, the, the hardest part for a team, for me at least, for for a team that comes from Puno, from such a high altitude, like Alfonso Garte, is to, you know, win all those stages and whatever, and then get to Lima. Because it, obviously, once you're at Lima, the, the dynamics of the game and, and the, how that final group stage plays out change uh, a little bit. And so if they can if they can make sure that, that they do as, as well in Lima at low altitude, uh, if they can do just as well as they as they would play at high altitude, then then yeah, they could probably be a serious contender. Uh, I I still I think my one of my top picks, obviously, is uh, like I mentioned a second ago, um, Alianza Universidad from Wanuco. And hey, like also my personal team, Sporankaj, uh is signing a lot of players right now and. You know, we've, we've been known for doing well when starting from those later stages uh, where the team has had a lot a lot of more time to kind of be, you know, train together and, and work themselves into into a team. So I'm going to, of course, I'm a fan, but I'm, I'm going to throw their name in there as one of the uh, possible contenders for the title. I hope so. I think the Fizzle Loudest would actually might put the best campaign as well for Lima team in years. I don't think they'll win it. But I think well, the signing of Christian La Torre, that's going to really help boost the squad because last year they made it decently far. They lost to be Nacional. I mean, that's normal. But right. Christian La Torre was a really good move because he actually did really well. And he actually did really well for Jose Maria Arguedas last year. So I think that's that's definitely a good signing for him. And I do remember one, there was a little bit of a controversy last year with uh, Christian La Torre where they, um, Christian La Torre admitted that he was paying. I think he admitted that he was paying. I'm trying to remember the formula. He was paying the opposition team. I think it was Alfonso Garte uh, for him to not play against uh, Alfonso Garte. And they, they were for Alfonso Garte was trying to appeal that they lost because of that. But how does that work? I mean, he he lost. Uh, Alfonso Garte lost, and they paid him to not play. So why would you disqualify somebody else for something you tried to do and still lost? Doesn't make any sense. But. <laughs> That's that's enough. That's enough of the jokes for now. I think this is a good place to end the pod. It was a really, it was a really fun one uh, to do. And yeah, sadly Peter's back next week, and we're gonna go back to the professionality. So uh, for those who didn't enjoy this, this, you'll be glad. And uh, I'm just joking. We're we're really happy to have Peter back, of course. So <laughs> yeah, we love you, Peter, if you're listening. But anyways, uh, thank you for listening. And. We're going to close out here. My name is Brian Birdie, and my Twitter is B underscore Birdie 98. Uh, the Peru Waltz Twitter is at Peru Waltz. And Christopher, what is your Twitter before we close out? Well, my name is Christopher Viscordo. A pleasure as always. And my Twitter is VIZVIS underscore FC. Thank you for listening. We're signing off.
Corrubillos en el arco, la defensa es colosal González ahorrando la torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemifrin y Cudillas y el gran Pericoleón Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la serie 